Now, most of us, <clears throat> echo, uh, when we know somebody, it requires more than, am I, I'm echoing, aren't I? I'm sorry. It requires more than head knowledge. It's more than a list of facts about somebody and what you know about them. It's even more than, you know, you've heard that commercial for eHarmony and their deep compatibility matching that they do for couples, for happy endings. It's more than that. You know, today we can get on our phone and our computers and we can find out information about somebody clear across the other side of the world in a matter of seconds. It's phenomenal. But this same technology, and I've seen it in my own boys because I have boys from 14 to 21, is also disconnecting us. Is putting a facade out there for people to see that we can hide behind. And so we're losing the art of really connecting with people and really knowing them on a deeper level. The truth is there's a lot more people we know about than we really know. And most of us can probably count on one hand people that we actually deem as people that truly know us, right? Now, I'm not talking about the gussied up, just showered Sunday best self. I'm talking about that roll out of bed with funky hair, funky clothes, what I had on for dinner on my shirt, kind of funky. The deep parts of us, the rough, the raw, the weepy, the broken parts of us. You see, most of us nowadays, we deem those parts unknowable. We don't like them. We don't want people to see that about us. And because that is the case, we hide behind a facade, and we live out this false self in front of the world in order to be acceptable. We don't want to be unliked. We fear not being liked. But the reality is, when you are known, it touches every place in your core longings. The need to belong, the need to be loved, the need to be understood, to have a purpose, to be significant. Being known touches on every one of those areas. And the reason being is because God designed us that way. He formed and shaped us that way because he himself desired to be known by us. And so today, what I want to bring out to you is that we can know God because he knows us. He has made it his business to know us from beginning to end. And so if you will today, I'm going to take you along at a fairly quick pace. And I've given outlines for you, but now what I spared you is all the scripture details. Because actually every point that you have in your outline has four or five places of reference of scripture. And so I didn't want to overwhelm you. I just wanted to do more of a focus, if you will, on what God's doing for us rather than where is it in scripture, okay? Now, 
the other thing I'm going to do is I'm going to take you out here and I'm going to bring you in like this, like a funnel. Because I think it's important to understand the concept of this great God that we have. This supernatural, wonderful God and his greatness and the wonder of all he is. And understand that he is just not some God that wound us up like a toy and set us off to live our own lives. Uninvolved, waiting till we wind down. That is not the God that we serve, not the God that loves us. So for just a moment, I want you to close your eyes. You see, it's an awesome thought that God indeed would want to be known by us. And so the first place I want to take you is just as you close your eyes, I want you to think about the stars. I want you to think about the heavens. Like you're lying on the ground, and it's nighttime, but the skies are clear, and you can see the stars. And the planets, and it's just, you just, it's just you and the heavens right in front of you. Now open your eyes for a moment. You see, the God that created the heavens, the heavens are his footstool. In his word in Revelation, it talks about being the beginning and the end, the alpha and the omega, the first and the last. And they're like bookends of our lives, if you will. They're bookends in the Bible because in Genesis chapter 1, in the beginning, God. And Revelation ends with God on the throne. And everything in between is our life of God trying to know us, to pursue us, to bring us closer to him. In his greatness, in creating the cosmos and the galaxies and the billions and billions of stars, he said, I'm the living one that was dead, but behold, I live forevermore. And so Revelation gives us a picture of his greatness. And we don't often go here in Scripture, but I wanted to today because it speaks of his holiness, his transcendence, his, omnip- his omnipotence, meaning all-powerful, his omnipresence, his sovereignty. It speaks of all of his power and glory and honor. So when we go to Revelation chapter 4, John walks in and he's given this vision and it is a picture of the throne. It's a picture of the Lord being worshipped and honored. And so we're not going to read all of chapter 4, but here is the praise. They're laying their crowns down before the Lord and he says, you are worthy, O Lord. Worthy, God, to receive glory and honor and power for you created all things. And by your will they were created, and they had their being. Then when you go to Revelation 5, it says, Then I looked and heard the voice of many angels, numbering thousands upon thousands, and 10,000 times times 10,000. I mean, it's just, it's an overwhelming picture. They encircled the throne and the living creatures and the elders in a loud voice. They sang, Worthy is the Lamb who was slain 
to receive power and wealth and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and praise. Then I heard every creature in heaven and on earth and under the earth and on the sea and all that is in them singing to him who sits on the throne and to the Lamb be praise and honor and glory and power forever and ever. And the four living creatures said amen and the elders fell down and worshiped. They worshiped. So day and night, 24-7, around the throne of God, who made the galaxies, who made the stars, who made the planets, he's being worshiped in a manner and in a, and in a, a picture we can only just glimpse because it's too wonderful for our finite minds to really grasp and get a hold of. It is this great God that wants to be known. So I wanted to give you an idea how great he truly is. He's holy. He's just. He's righteous. But in all of him being great, he is good. And it is this goodness of his that comes and seeks us out and searches us out because he loves us. You see, it's his initiative towards us that brings us closer to him. It's his desire to be known, his desire to know you, in that he reveals himself. He brings us in to know him. He created us. So here he is in the cosmos with heaven as his footstool being worshipped, and he decides to create man in his own image. So God created man in his own image. The image he created them was male and female, and he created them. And the Lord walked among them. He didn't stay and watch them live their life. He wanted to be among them. He walked with them. They were in a perfect environment, had perfect circumstances, and here is the Lord wanting relationship with them, coming face to face with them, coming alongside of them, talking with them, having relationship with them right from the beginning. That's the first thing he does with them essentially after everything's been created. After resting, he goes into relationship with them. Unfortunately, though, it is when the first sign of sin comes that they try to hide. This picture of Adam and Eve having relationship, then eating from the tree of knowledge and evil, or good and evil, I'm sorry, when they have this rationalization of, I am sinful, I'm no longer perfect. What is, I see more of me than I ever knew I had, you know, more of me. And they hide. They didn't want God to know their sin. They didn't want to be unlikable in God's eyes. And they hide. That is what we do with sin. We hide our sin. And we try to hide it from the Lord who sees everything. Their relationship at this point is compromised. 
And relationship between man and God is compromised until the Lord pursues us, until the Lord takes an initiative to rectify the situation. And he does so by shedding blood to cover them. Now, God's word, it says that we've all sinned. It wasn't just Adam and Eve, but we've all sinned. We've all got places and things in ourselves that we don't like in our past, in our present, things about us that aren't the way we'd like them to be. And we hide them. We deem those things unknowable because we want people to like us. But the wages of sin is death. And so there's a penalty that happens with sin, and that is death. But God covers it. He covers it because in his goodness, he loves us, and he doesn't want to leave us that way. And he wants to reconnect and re-strengthen and restore that relationship with us. So he demonstrates his own love for us by sending his own son to take our place, to pay the price, to be the ransom for what we deserve. That's his love. Out of his love, he pays that price for us. He's the ransom for us. And it's his kindness. It's his gift. It says, while we were dead in our trespasses, through grace we've been saved. And it is God's kindness through Jesus Christ. Grace through faith, faith that we have, which is a gift. It's God's kindness through Jesus And it's a gift of God. We don't earn it. We can't make things right and pay that penalty. Only he can do that. And it's his gift. Again, out of all of God's goodness. But what I really want to get to you is God's care. You see, in knowing us and not just wanting to sit and let us live our lives. He desperately knows us by the way he cares for us. See, we can know him because he knows us. And one of the ways he knows us is by the things that he does for us in caring for us. In Isaiah 40, 11, Jesus is the shepherd. He says he tends his flock like a shepherd and he gathers the lambs in his arms and he carries them to his chest. I want you to picture yourself as that lamb. You've got sin in your life. Maybe you've had hurt in your life. Maybe you've had something fall down, something break. Maybe you're lonely. Because, see, we're like sheep. And we go astray and we fall down and we don't know how to help ourselves. But God, in his care, picks us up and holds us close. He's that kind of God. That same God on the throne picks up his sheep and carries them close to his heart. I want you to turn with me, if you will, to the book of Ezekiel. We're going to go to Ezekiel 34, and this is one of my favorite passages. And what it does is it describes God 
in his goodness, his care for us in such a way as a shepherd would care for his sheep. And I'm just going to go through the highlights here. We won't read the whole passage, but it's in Ezekiel 34, starting with verse 11. Now, when we go through these, remember those core longings I talked about? A belonging of wanting to feel loved and understood and have a purpose and be significant to all of those things, they're in here. The sovereign Lord, in verse 11, says, I myself will search for them. In verse 12, I will rescue them. In verse 16, I will search for the lost and bring back the strays. I will bind up the injured, in verse 16, and strengthen the weak. When he talks about safety, he's talking about a covenant of peace. In verse 26, showers of blessing, the fruits, the crops, in essence, the fruit of our hands, the fruit of our labors, he blesses, he provides for. Verse 30 and 31, this is how he finishes. Then they will know, because I've done all these things in caring for them, then they will know that I, the Lord their God, am with them. And you're my people, and you're my sheep. You hear that? He's calling you as his own. You are mine. I care for you. I love you. I meet those needs for you. And I do so because you're mine. Jesus is the good shepherd. In John chapter 10, verse 11, Jesus declares himself as the good shepherd that Isaiah and Ezekiel we're talking about. They prophesied about this is the kind of Messiah <clears throat> that the God is providing for his people. Not some king that's going to just overthrow the government, but the king that will be servant and serving and caring, coming to the brokenhearted, coming to those who have needs and caring for them and binding them up carrying them close to his chest. Jesus, in the Gospels, is saying, I am that shepherd. I am he. So like a funnel, we have this God that's on the throne. Then he proceeds in his goodness to take initiative to know us and to know us by the way he cares for us. But see, it comes down even closer because there are things about us, details about us, that he does know. And the word is replete with circumstances and verses that say over and over again, I know you, I know you. Both Job and David said, what is God, or what is man, I'm sorry, what is man that you are mindful of him? In other words, they're saying to the Lord, who are we that you would care about us? But, but the Lord said to Moses, when he's at the burning bush, 
And he's calling Moses into the call, into Moses' destiny. He says some key things here that we often overlook. And it says, I have indeed seen the misery of my people. He saw it. I have heard their cries. And I am concerned about them. Right? He saw it. He heard about it. He was concerned about it. And in verse 8, he says, so I have come down to rescue them. See, he is an active God in his care and in his knowledge of every circumstance, every situation that we have. We're not some ant in a hill that is ignored by the rest of life. We have a God that knows about each and every single one of us. And there's supernatural knowledge. John last week talked about the woman at the well. Jesus supernaturally knew that she had already five husbands and the man that she was with was not her husband. Jesus saw Nathanael, where? Sitting under a fig tree. The paralytic that was told to get up, take your mat, and leave because your sins are forgiven. Jesus knew what was needed and had the authority to take care of it. He knows things about us. Nothing can be hidden. Do you know, and I'm sure you've probably heard this but didn't know where it was, in Matthew 10.30 it says, even the very hairs on our head are numbered. Now, for some of you, that's not a stretch, but, you know, just seeing if you're paying attention. But see, he knows us by name. He knew Moses by name. He called and set apart Jeremiah by name. And in John chapter 10, this whole passage in John chapter 10 is about Jesus being the shepherd and saying, I am the shepherd, but he's saying, I am the shepherd, and the sheep know my voice. I know my sheep, and I know their name. Not only does he know our name, but he chose us. You see, he chose us in him before the very creation of the world. And he predestined us to be adopted as sons, as heirs. So we've gone from this big place of Jesus being on the throne and his goodness to him pursuing and taking initiative to know us to knowing this people that he's calling to himself, to knowing us as a person. You see where I'm going? It's going from here to here to here. God is just taking his knowledge, and he reveals it, and he shows it. But it's, it's not just out here. It goes deeper and deeper and deeper until we realize it's about me. He knows me. I would like with you, if you would, please to turn to Psalm 139. We're going to read from there. In knowing us, God goes even deeper. He knows our name. He chose us. Now I want you to read, get every nuance of what he's saying in here too. Because he made us. 
We know that he created everything. We know he created mankind, but he created you. I'm going to say that again. He created you. You were not a mistake. You were not happenstance. You weren't created out of nothing. You were created by God. We're going to start in verse 13. For you created my inmost being. You knit me together in my mother's womb. I praise you because I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Your works are wonderful, and I know that full well. My frame was not hidden from you. When I was made in the secret place, when I was woven together in the depths of the earth, your eyes saw my unformed body. And all the days ordained for me were written in your book before even one of them came to be. That's a mouthful. He knows you. Every nuance, every fiber, every tear, every smile. He knows you. Now, I read this other verse that I'm going to tell you about in 1 Corinthians 8.3. And I've probably read this series of verses over and over again. And then this verse captured me and I was like, oh my gosh. Wow, I didn't know this. And it's so simple. It says, but the man who loves God is known by God. That's been there the whole time. The man who loves God is known by God. It's it's kind of, it seems so simple, but it's really much more than that. God knows me. Not only does he know the number of my hairs, not only did he form me and mold me and shape me, but let's bring it down even further. He knows me right now here in this spot, at this hour, at this day, at this moment. We're going to go back to verse 1. Oh, Lord, you have searched me and you know me. You know when I sit You know, when I rise, you perceive my thoughts from afar. You discern my going out and my lying down. You are familiar with all my ways. Before a word is on my tongue, you know it completely. You hem me in, behind and before. Now that concept of hemming in is the Lord encamping around us to protect us, to cover us. You have laid your hand upon me. Such knowledge is too wonderful for for me, too lofty for me to attain. Where can I go from your spirit? Nowhere. He is ever-present. He is ever-knowing. Every thought every act, every reason why I act, every motive that I have, every desire that I have, every longing, because we are known by Him, we can know Him. All the ways we are known by God, all the scope of it, reveals that He meets those longings of us in that knowing. Now listen to what I say as I go back through the core longings, and you'll hear what we just read. 
I belong to him. He made me. He bought me. He paid a price for me. He adopted me. I belong to him. He loves me. You know how I know? Because he pursued me. He searched for me. He gave up his only son for me. And he celebrates me. He provides me security. He hymns me in. He goes before me. He's my rear guard. He protects me from my enemies. He keeps me safe. And he guides me. He takes care of my needs. He understands me. He sees and hears and is concerned with my misery, my sorrows. He knows my thoughts. He knows my feelings. He knows the when, the where, the why, and the hows of my life. He gives me purpose to serve him, to worship him, to love him. A purpose to know him more so that I can be like him, so that others can know him. It's purpose. And he makes me significant. I'm worth dying for. I'm worth him giving up his life so that I can have life with him. I am a treasure. I'm a pearl. In all of that, though, let me reiterate that he knows the hidden parts of me. Nothing is hidden in his light. Everything is revealed. And see, the best part of it is all of his prior knowledge about me does not disillusion him about me. Let me say that again. Everything that is hidden, that is sinful, that is broken, that is unlikable, that I deem unknowable, does not stop him from loving me, from wanting a relationship with me, from wanting him to be known by me. You see, even though I was dead, in my trespasses. Even while I was still a sinner, Jesus chose to die for me. And we can't disqualify ourselves just because we think we're unlikable or our sin prevents us. You see, Moses tried to disqualify himself because of the sin in his past. Peter denied Jesus to his face. But that didn't disqualify him either. Gideon was too small. Esther was a woman. And David was too young. They all disqualified themselves, but not God. He did not. He values us. Instead of disqualifying us, he values us by giving his life for us. You see, in Matthew 13, he talks about looking for treasure. That treasure is us. 
that price he paid to buy that treasure, that price he paid in verse 45 to buy that pearl of great worth, we are that pearl. We are that treasure. I am. And he deemed us worthy. And he deemed you valuable to give himself away for you. But lastly, we can know him because he knows us. Jesus says when it says in his word in, verse, in John chapter 10, excuse me, in verse 4, when he has brought out all his own, he goes on ahead of them. And the sheep follow him because they know his voice. You see, Jesus shows them the way. We have a hard time helping ourselves. And Jesus shows us the way. His voice. You see, there's a call on our life. Every single one of us have it. Because he has claimed you and because he has said, you are my sheep, follow me. It's his call upon our lives. And we hear that voice. And we know that voice. When we pray, it's that voice that says, I love you. It's that voice that says, I'm here to bind you up because he's close to the brokenhearted. It speaks of identity and of relating to him because he is the good shepherd. He says, I know my sheep and my sheep know me. See, all of my knowledge on him depends on his sustained initiative in knowing me. I know him because he first knew me. I love him because he first loved me. Paul said, I consider everything a loss compared to the surpassing greatness of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord, for whose sake I've lost all things. I considered them rubbish that I might gain Christ and be found in him. I want to know Christ, he says, and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings so that I can become like him. He brings us to him, to know him. And when we recognize that he knows us so deeply, that we can have his life and his light in us, then that reflection that we see in the mirror will be of him. The more we allow him to see all of our places that we try to keep behind. The more we allow him to fill those places. And so that every moment that we know him, we become more like him. And it begins to change and form and shape us and become who we are so that when others look at us, they see Jesus. 1 Corinthians thirteen twelve says, Now we see but a poor reflection as in a mirror. Then we shall see face to face. Now I know in part, then I shall know fully as I am fully known. You see, when someone knows me, they can speak to me. When someone really knows me, they can relate to me. They can understand me. They have full right to judge me. And they can love me. 
every part of me they can love. And being fully known releases me from my shame, from my guilt, from all the things that I've tried to hide. It releases me from living a facade, a false self. I can live the real me. I can live fully known without pretense or tension. I can be free. I can be forgiven. I can be hopeful for the future. This great God who sat on his throne loves me. He loves you. Why don't you stand with me? I hope, if anything, that you leave today with a greater awareness of this great God who, who's used his goodness to pursue you. Not just to have a people all his own, that's all part of it, but a person, a significant person in you. And that he doesn't just want pieces of you, or the reflection of you. He wants all of you. Do we, is Brandon here? I don't know. Sorry. I believe this message is for all of us. Every single one of us. We live our ba- daily and busy lives. And we go on. And we let small things disturb us and distract us. We have big things that disturb us and distract us too, but we lose sight of the God that loves us. And we lose sight sometimes because, you know, we put him on a shelf and he's there when we need him. But the fact is he's always with us. And that he is our beginning and he is our end, but he is our right now. That's what we need to recognize. He is our right now, and he wants you to know him in that way because he knows you. And it doesn't matter what you've done. He loves you. He cares about you. And that is his message today, that I love you right where you're at. You don't have to be your Sunday best for me. You can be your funky self for me. So we're going to have prayer team members come up. We're going to pray, and you're welcome to be dismissed. But I think it's no accident, if you were here today, to know that God loves you and to be thinking about the greatness that he is.